Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Situational Awareness Tactics Podcast. This podcast provides the crucial art of understanding current elements in an environment to increase your safety and survival. Here's your host, forensic psychologist and consultant, Dr. Carlos. Welcome, everyone. Today we have a returning guest, and his name is Ernest Emerson. And you might remember we did an interview with him a few weeks ago. You definitely want to catch it. He is a martial arts expert, a knife-making expert, and now he's written a great new book. It's coming out soon, I think. We're going to find out in a minute. Knowledge Destroys Fear. I can't wait to read it, but we're going to get the sneak peek behind what it's all about. And let's not waste any more time, and welcome to the show, Ernest Emerson. Welcome, Ernest. Well, Dr. Carlos, thank you very much, and uh, thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We had such a great time last time, and I'm sure we'll have to bring mm-hmm. you back again to learn more about knives. We haven't even covered that aspect of your life. <laughs> yeah, that's out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but this time we're going to be talking more into my world as well, which is the psychology, and we're going to talk about mm-hmm. the knowledge of fear. So tell us a little bit about this. Well, the I guess the, the entire premise of what I'm trying to do with the book and also what I teach, and this is a culmination of what I've kind of gleaned over the years being a, an instructor and being around people that have faced, you know, deadly threat and all that, is that there's there's commonalities that exist for sure, uh, and also there are things that you can do to mitigate the effects that fear has on you. Now, the interesting thing about it is what most people think of as fear is not really fear. It's a, it's a physiological electrochemical process that's taking place in the body and I'll and I'll I'll get to my encapsulation of what that is in a, in a as we talk a little bit here but one of the first things that as some interested in training in other words let's say that that uh, uh, doctor that you're you're getting ready to you know take uh, shooting classes and learn how to be uh, uh, someone who is self-sufficient and developing your own personal security uh, for you and your family and all that. In other words, you're, you're a warrior. You have that warrior ethos. So you're, you're training yourself to be that person in a time of danger or need, <clears throat> whether it's for you or your family or anyone else. And in order to understand how your training should dovetail into being the most effective warrior that you can be, you have to understand the, the process that goes into uh, what happens when you are faced with a deadly threat, or any threat for that mm. matter. And so it, I guess what I'll do is I'll, I'll just give a tiny, and again, this is a very, very brief description of the, the physical systems that are in play whenever you face uh, any kind of threat. And... If we look at the brain, which is where everything takes place, basically, we have uh, the thalamus, which is the receiver for all input 
with its olfactory. In other words, uh, sight, touch, sound, uh, pain, any of those things, they're, they're directed right to the thalamus, which is kind of a relay hub that sends out information uh, from there depending on you know, what, what that information is. In other words, a loud bang, uh, the thalamus is going to send it one way, and if it was a nice uh, guitar solo by Jimi Hendrix, it's going to send it another direction. So, <laughs> yeah. so w- what happens is the next structure that we need to be aware of is the amygdala. And the amygdala is that, is that part of the brain, that structure in the brain that processes emotions. And uh, whether it's love, fear, uh, pleasure, all of those good things, but it also is the trigger for detecting uh, and directing our emergency response system, which is that fight-or-flight system that most people uh, are at least somewhat aware of. And then, of course, there's the cerebral cortex, which is the the big brain, which is a higher brain, you know, where you're the basic consciousness that we think of is, is resides. Then, those three structures also control a number of systems. And this is all going to be basically in regard to threat response. So we've got the central nervous system, which is brain and spinal cord, the somatic uh, nervous system, which is our voluntary nervous system that tells us to you know, move our muscles and creates, uh, you know, it's it's what's used when a sprinter takes off from the starting gate. In other words, the, all our conscious movement of our skeletons and muscles and all that good stuff. Uh, then you have the autonomic system, which is all the voluntary actions. And that's, that's the place that we need to be aware of probably more uh, than all the other systems. Because in there, and that's broken down into parasympathetic, which is our you know, this is not under our conscious control. It's our breathing and heart rate and all that heartbeat. You know, so we don't we don't die when we go to sleep. Yeah, we definitely uh, don't want to spend time controlling those factors. It's kind of hard to yeah. do that consciously. <laughs> yeah, and it would be tough to control your heartbeat while you're <laughs> trying to. <laughs> yeah. But and then there is the sympathetic nervous system, which is where the fight or flight uh, mechanism and all that uh, resides. Now that is an a a system that is not under conscious control and when that thalamus is uh, sends a signal to the amygdala like a big bang or you know somebody jumps up and says boo in front of you it triggers that uh, signal directly through all of the systems the sympathetic nervous system which is your startle reflex and all that now at the same time it sends almost a parallel signal up to the cerebral cortex so that even though you're out of control, your brain is still processing and still taking in information. So, you know, again, th- why is this important? It's because that's what's going to affect you in a gunfight. That's what's going infect- to affect you in, a, in a, uh, a deadly attack when someone's trying to jump to you and, and it's going to beat the heck out of your work. So the, the thing that we need to also be aware of is that there are two types of threats. And why did I say it sends a parallel uh, signal to the cerebral cortex when the, thermos, or when the amygdala basically triggers that fight or flight? Because sometimes if it is a spontaneous threat, the amygdala, it really just takes over. It's like I'm at the helm, mm-hmm. you can't do anything except what I'm allowing you to do. A progressive threat 
let's say you're walking down the street and you see two guys beating beating up an old lady and you run over to help well that's not a spontaneous threat that's a progressive threat and what happens is the amygdala is sitting there ready to go into full action but it's not in complete control yet because you are progressively escalating that threat response system because you are entering a, a dangerous situation and it's going to gauge it all according to what is necessary for that moment. You know, you remind me of something interesting, if I may, for a second. Mm -hmm. it's, sure. You know, I, I dabble, obviously, I, I'm a teacher in forensic psych, but it's funny because mm -hmm. when you have a lot of these teachers um, or these offenders or inmates, they have a, what they call a, um, an attenuated, underdeveloped prefrontal cortex, that area of the brain, as you mentioned yeah. earlier, and they really have a, a heightened amygdala. So they're emotionally reactive to everything. Oh, yeah. And instead of just being rational, hence they commit these crimes and sometimes these violent acts. So it's interesting. You're saying this, how I'm thinking about it. Sorry to interrupt you, sir. No, no, no. It's, that is actually, see, what you've also done is you've identified the enemy. And that's, that's another tremendous part of preparing yourself in, and your training. Because, again, uh, if I'm, to, to use a real kind of foolish analogy, if I'm going to a, perform in a piano uh, uh, recital, I wouldn't spend my time practicing on the violin. I, I'd spend my time <laughs> practicing the piano because that's, that's where I'm going. And uh, if you don't identify who that me is and what you're up against, now people, there's, we're going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but people don't understand something that is so, so important. We are so uh, protected in daily environments from extreme violence. Now, you and I had spoken briefly about some of the Israelis and, and how they're always on like a heightened, they're always like uh, uh, conditioned. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's a reason for that is because they live in an environment where they face those kind of threats all the time and they are exposed to extreme violence. Most of us, here in America, we don't get that chance. Now, unless you live down in, in some of the inner cities and all that where that stuff takes place, you know, on a daily basis, that's part of the reason when we talk about the fight-or-flight reaction that some people don't fight, they don't flight, but they actually freeze. And, and if, you know, mm. in a couple minutes we'll talk about the, the, those various structures. But that's, that's part of the, uh, the reason that most people are not prepared, even though they train and everything, is because when they face extreme violence, which is one of those guys that you talked about that has no conscience, they're a sociopath, they don't care about what they're doing to someone else, and, and another thing that's so important in all that, they've done it before. They've done it, they've probably done it their entire lives. So that's their norm. That's not your normal, and that's not my normal. And that's another thing, you know, when we talk about the bias for normalcy, that we'll, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that in a minute. But, you know, I, I hope this is intense. I, I know you understand that. I hope that uh, I'm not being too scattered all over for... No, no, I think you're following a good steps. You're following a good, yeah. good structure. So where do we go from there? As you were mentioning, now that we understand, well, we have a basic understanding. Folks really have to get the book when it's out to be able to fully understand it. But so now we got the neuroscience behind it. 
Um, mm -hmm. We're talking about the amygdala firing. So I guess my question to you, Ernest, uh, as an individual who realizes this now that you come into contact with a threat, um, as you mentioned, we fly, hopefully you're in condition orange or something like that when the situation <laughs> happens. Uh, how do we control it? How do we get our prefrontal cortex to, to start uh, getting away from the middle hijacking it? Well, there's, there's several things. Now, one of the things, I guess, again, back to the knowledge destroys fear. The more you know about it, the more you're able to uh, tailor make basically your understanding and your training to, to exist in that environment. And if we, if we talk about the uh, uh, fight or flight for just a second, uh, that is that result of the amygdala taking over, like we just like you just uh, described. And that's broken down into, you know, most people think they, that it's fight or flight, but there's actually five conditions that can take place, and it's fight, flight, posture, submit, or freeze. And depending on the situation, depending on your life experience, uh, I guess everything that you've experienced in life, if you grew up in the, in the uh, I guess it's, it's the difference between street smarts and ha having them and not having them. That's, that's kind of a generic description. <laughs> you know, a person who has street smarts, they have those street smarts because they've been exposed to those situations and then lived in that environment, whereas some people haven't. And they, they appear to be, you know, totally off guard. And so we're all susceptible to that. And no one's born being a, uh, a vigilante warrior, you know what I'm saying? Uh, sure. I wasn't born knowing, you know, uh, astrophysics or anything like that. And Mozart wasn't born knowing how to play the piano. They, they had to get there. And even though they may have had uh, some type of proclivity to be better at it than you or I, uh, they still spent their time training and learning and you know, getting to the point where they became who they were. And as a warrior, it's the same thing. You want to do the things that are going to mitigate that term that we all hear every day now with the <laughs> pandemic. Um, you want to mitigate the time that you spend in any of these uh, situations that are caused by that amygdala taking over. And so we're all susceptible, and that's that's one of the other things that I always stress to everyone is that, you know, you're no different from me. I'm no different from, you know, John down the street or Sally up the block or whatever uh, because we're all humans. And so all these things always take place uh, to whatever degree when we're, you know, forced with a, faced with a spontaneous threat or a progressive threat. Anything that causes you to go into this uh, uh, cycle, let's call it. So, what do you do? How come some people, like I said, why is that bad guy able to commit that extreme violence and do those things? Now, bear in mind, he's, he's basically subject to the same exact reactions that you or I are subject to. He's just a bad guy. So he's on that other side of the fence, but he's still a human being. Even though he may have uh, some uh, anomalies or abnormalities or whatever in his brain, uh, he's still going to be that the things that we 
become aware of that you and I are discussing when the amygdala takes over. It, it takes over in him. So what's the difference? Why is he able to do that? Why is he able to move through that environment in a fluid way and, and, and get the drop on so many people so many times? Because uh, if he's still out there committing ex- crimes, that means he's pretty good at doing what he's learned how to do. So I want to just bring up something that you know goes a little bit back historically, uh, and there was a very, very well-known guy named uh, Lieutenant Colonel John Boyd. And he's the guy who was basically responsible for kind of codifying something called Uda Loop. And his nickname was 32nd Boyd because he was a fighter pilot and a fighter <laughs> pilot trainer. And how did he get that nickname? Well. He got that nickname because generally it only took him 30 seconds to drop on somebody in midair combat, and he was hyper-successful at it. Now, what he did was he thought there's got to be a reason why some people do so well in aerial combat and why some don't. Now, one of the questions I always ask uh, people in classes and, and is, when is the most likely time that a fighter pilot will be shot down? And sometimes people know the answer and sometimes they don't. And I always tell them, look, the most likely time for a fighter pilot to be shot down is on his first, his first engagement, the first time he goes into combat. And Boyd looked at that and said, hmm, that's interesting, but why are there people that can have 200 sorties? Why are there people that that shoot down 150 other mm-hmm. fighter pilots. And so he started looking at it and found that when you are engaged in aerial combat, you're most likely to be shot down in your first 12 missions. And then after that, something happens where you generally survive the, all of the next missions that you have in your career. And he was like, what the heck is that? Well, how, how does that happen? The guy was a, a superior analyst on, in human reaction and all this and that. And so he said, well, what if we <coughs> gave our pilots those first 12 <coughs> missions in training so that when they take off from that aircraft carrier for the first time to go into combat against the MiG or something, they've already got that curve under their belt. And, of course, that led to Top Gun and, and I guess, the Air Force Red Flag and whatever the other names are for the other, uh, (laughs) the Marine Corps uh, pilots and all that. But it worked. So, again, back to what happens to the human body under stress, those pilots face the same exact situations because, think about it, you're in an airplane, you're 25,000 feet in the air, you're going six or 700 miles an hour, you're, you're in a gunfight with somebody, you've got all of this unbelievably complicated machinery built around you. How can that work in that environment when we all know from all our shooting classes and everything we've been told that your hands turn into you know, oven mitts and you get tunnel vision and all of that other 
That's right. That well, it's because they've done this before. In other words, the more that you spend time in that environment, the more you're able to drag some of those finite skills. That still, it still happens. They still get the inrush. They get all the, the, the cocktail of all the different things that happens to the human body, but they're able to function in that environment. Now, again, that's why I said, why does that bad guy, like he move fluidly in his environment? Because he's done it again and again and again. Well, we can learn from that and say, let's have the good guys function in a high-stress, dangerous environment again and again and again and again and get them trained up so that when they're in the real world environment of that situation, they are not out of control or, in other words, under the control of the amygdala who's at the dri in the driver's seat at that point, but you can use that the things that the amygdala and those systems have done to help you survive. Because one of the things that's so important about defining what is fear, really what most people interpret as fear is just the body preparing to survive. And if you can make that little click, then you're going to be able to set yourself on a journey to design all your training, all the different things that you need to be aware of. Uh, you can you can develop a plan for your own personal protection. I'm sorry I'm droning on. I'm not giving you a chance to... <laughs> no, no, no. no. You've got a lot of questions. I know we're running out of time Go eventually, ahead. but you Go right brought ahead. up some great points because the, the training, you know, I guess criminals, they get their training from consistently trying to rob or <laughs> consistently yeah. assaulting, depending on what kind of criminal you're talking about. Now, yep. a psychopath obviously is different because they're underdeveloped prefrontal cortex and they have this totally different uh, brain structure than anybody else. But mm -hmm. a general criminal, they're going to be training constantly and on heightened alert. And I know I talked to a CO the other day, a correctional officer who deals mm -hmm. a lot with gangs, and he says there's two jobs for an inmate. And I like the way he phrased this. You might appreciate it too. He says, one is to always work out, so I guess preparation, and two yep. is to always find out, always to study the gun and find out who's on. So you can yeah. see that they're always training in one way, in one capacity or another. Yep. And uh, so we talked a little bit about now the neuroscience. We talked about how to overwhelm, how to um, uh, control the amygdala via the prefrontal cortex, and it sounds like you're saying a lot of it has to do with training. So your prefrontal cortex can start getting... Um, used to responding to an uh, over-heightened amygdala. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, to be able to control the amygdala, because that, again, that's an autonomic system which just goes into effect. And uh, there, there is one caveat to that, though. There are two things in the, uh, uh, the autonomic system that we do actually, that, that exist in both worlds. And, and those two things are blinking and breathing. In other words, although my breathing in a, in a, let's say when I'm sleeping, my breathing is controlled by that, I'm not conscious of it, and, and if you and I are talking here, I'm not really conscious of my breathing, but I can actually go <laughs> and control my rate of breathing, even though it's still under that system. So it's kind of like, that, uh, if you stop 
locked into a car that had two steering wheels in it. Uh, sometimes you can grab one, and, and the other time uh, it, it travels with the other driver in command. Hmm. So that's, again, I'm sure you've heard the, the term combat before. Sure. Now, yeah, when you are in that situation where you are basically, let's say you walk, uh, you're in the mall, and boom, 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 uh, you hear the you hear gunshots go off, and you duck behind a counter, and you have your family with you, and you're you're trying to keep them covered, and all of a sudden, all of these things take place in your body, but you know that you've got to be the one who 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 can step up and protect them uh, if that gun if those gunshots come closer. So it, it's one of the things that you can do, and I'm just using that as an analogy because you know I've got to create the scenario a little bit. Uh, is you can do the combat breathing exercises, which is a, a slow count of four breaths. In, excuse me, a slow count of four, taking a breath, holding the breath for a count of four, and breathing the breath out for a count of four. And if you do that three or four times, you start to feel control of that system that's, that was in complete control of you at the, at the onset. And again, we could go into a lot more detail on that, but it, there, there are certain things, and unless you're aware of them, uh, you won't be able to access them. It, you know, it's kind of like when we talk about a situation, why do some people seem to just react faster and have be able to do the right thing at the most dangerous moment? Well, there's a couple things that are responsible for that. Number two is, or number one, is their life experience. You know, uh, the difference between a, uh, a guy who works at the car wash and a soldier who's, who's home on leave from Afghanistan, they're going to be completely types of individuals just because of the experience that they have under their belt. And the other thing is you have a plan so that when something happens, you've already thought out, what am I going to do if this? What am I going to do if that? And I'm not saying to be in, I mean, we talked about the Israelis being in condition orange. You, you and I can't live in condition orange all the time, or we'll, we'll burn that candle both ends, and it'll meet in the middle, and, and that flame will go out. <laughs> it, it's just a, too much of an overload for the system. But the, it, you don't, if you have a plan, what am I going to do if this happens? And you can be thinking about that, um, you know, while you're sitting at home, reading a book or right before you go to bed when you're just when your thoughts are just rolling through your head and you're laying down on the on the pillow you you need to be able to think those things out because and again doctor you you know this as well as anybody our minds at times don't know the difference between reality and fantasy in other words uh, a when you have a dream, uh, there's part of our body that actually uh, paralyzes, uh, part of the system that actually paralyzes our body so that we're not thrashing about in our sleep, running running from the bear or whatever. Because at, at that moment in time, when you're dreaming, that's reality, even though it's not physically existing. But the but the mind can't make that differentiation. So yeah, that's where visualization comes you, in. That's exactly where a visualization visualization comes in. If you can realistically pretend 
in your mind, or in other words, I would say it's kind of like watching a movie. Today I'm going to watch a movie about a, uh, uh, a shooter in, a, in the mall, an active shooter in the mall, and I'm going to just play that movie in my mind and go through it. What do I do with this? What do I do with that? Picture it happening, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, those are the kind of things that allow you to react faster. And again, you know, it, it's why they have training. It's why they train uh, flight attendants on how to get people out of a plane quickly and all that, so that when something does happen, they've already got a plan ready to go. And most people go through life in in almost all respects without a plan, whether it's a plan for <laughs> a successful relationship or a business plan or most people just drift along with the current. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. They they don't think about. It. They just kind of go. Let the, they have a. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting because I know I was reading uh, a little bit about internal locus of control and external locus of control, and uh, mm -hmm. the differences in uh, in people who have that. A lot of criminals tend to have an external locus of control. They believe that circumstances outside of themselves determine the outcome. And uh, here, it, it almost sounds like um, having more internal locus of control. You determine your outcomes is a very important part of all this. Well, it, it is. It's, it, and I'm one of those guys who believes that, again, it's just me personally. I can't tell you that it's the way. Uh, but I'm one of those guys that believes firmly, and I've lived this, that every single thing that happens to me is because of something I did. In other words, I've caused us to have this conversation today. I have, uh, and, and I take responsibility for every single thing that's to me. And it's one of those things where you look at people and you think, why is that guy always having stuff, uh, why is his car being repossessed? Why is the, uh, why is he always being picked up by the police for, you know, uh, taillights out and all this. It's, it's not the police. It's you. If you took care of things and were responsible for everything and took that, that I guess, uh, viewpoint of yourself, then you wouldn't have all those things happen. You pay your bills. You put your car in good shape. Uh, and again, that's just the analogy that I'm using. I, I firmly believe that I am responsible for every single thing that happens in my life. One way or the other, I created that situation to come about. The, here's, the, here's the key. This is the coolest part of that type of philosophy. If I caused all those things, and I'm responsible for all those things, why don't I just start making only things happen and completely stop making bad things happen? And that responsibility is something that a, a lot of people just don't... It, it takes... It takes some it takes some time, but it takes the ability to be able to look at yourself and go, you know what? It's not his fault. It's my fault. And yeah. that's one of the other things that's so important in developing that warrior ethos is you are taking control of your self-protection. You're taking control of being able to help others to be the person who runs towards danger uh, rather than away from it and again that's it's, uh, it's so funny doctor when i talk to a lot of the guys that we deal with you know whether they're 
rangers or marines or navy seals or whatever fighter pilots doesn't matter start to see this continuity and similarity <laughs> between all of these these types of people and it's it's i don't know i don't the only way i can say it is these are my type of people i'm very comfortable around them and we're all on the same page and you know, you hit something else that's a pet peeve of mine. I think we have to wrap up here in a minute. You know, Ernest, sure. I think you and I are going to have to continue this. We're going to have to have a special <laughs> segment. Like it's an hour and a half. We just have no time. Limit. Or we can just meekly thing. You know, it's just fascinating conversations. <laughs> um, oh, but you did remind me of one of the things I see in society now is where a lot of people defer responsibility. They just don't take yeah. it anymore. And uh, that's problematic because you lose a lot of your own control of your own life by deferring so much responsibility. Well, okay, let's just take that one. <laughs> That's another step show, further. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Go it's, ahead. A, it's a huge show. Let's take it just one step further. Would you want your personal say, your life, in a life or death situation, to be in someone else's hands or your own hands? Oh, absolutely. Well, it depends yeah. actually who it is. If it was Rambo, maybe <laughs> the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the only problem is it takes a few minutes for the cavalry to get there. A guy with <laughs> yeah. a gun can fire off a lot of rounds in under a minute. We all know that. But, you know, that's the ultimate personal responsibility. I, I'm going to rely on myself, save myself. And then when the good guys get there, I can... Breathe a sigh, really, <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do this. Let's set up another time again to continue the conversation, sure. if you want. Absolutely, I'd, I'd love to talk this. I, I hope the people out there that are listening to your podcast are interested in it because, uh, you know, it's just something that I love to talk about. Well, there's so much things I wanted to talk to you about more, and we'll get to it next time. But I want to talk mm -hmm. how, even your children. Your book can be something your parents can develop a lot of these things in their children as they grow up. They can develop yeah. how to handle emotional reactivity, how to not control the amygdala, but how to be able to, well, suppress yeah. its activity in, in, a, in a positive way. Uh, we'll talk about Mike Tyson's comment where everybody has a plan until they get punched. And yeah. that's an interesting comment because it goes right along the ways of, uh, along along the, your theme of being having a plan. Ernest Emerson, where can we get yep. more information on you, sir? Well, uh, Ernest Emerson, uh, you can get that at uh, emersonknives.com. Uh, that's, that's where I reside most of the time, if you will, on, in a digital world. And uh, we also, I guess, just keep track of our website. That's, uh, again, emersonknives.com. And uh, anything coming up, whether it's books or classes or new knives or any of that stuff will all be be out there of course instagram and facebook and and all of that stuff going on too and i'm i'm not i don't know all the addresses <laughs> for all that but you can find us i'm sure <laughs> yeah hard. it's ernest emerson everybody it's e-m-e-r-s-o-n you definitely you can find him on instagram he's there so don't want to miss it uh thanks again ernest for being here thank you oh, everyone for being here i'm sorry my pleasure ahead. doctor thank you that's right. When is y'all actually? Before we go, I'll wrap up. When does your book come out? Uh, about three to four weeks. I'm just finishing up. We're going to do the final edit on it, and uh, it's been about a three or four year project. And uh, I hope it's going to be the best one that I've ever done. I think it will be. From the sounds of it so far, I definitely think it will be. 
Well, thank you. And that's hard to beat. He's got some great books out there, folks. So <laughs> <laughs> that's tough to beat. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Catch you all next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.